market. The S&P stops. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is mostly House of the Rising Sun with just a touch of Bob the Builder. I'm Andrew Page, and as always, I'm joined by Scott Phillips. G'day, Andrew. G'day, fools. Good to be with you as always. Scott, today we're getting real with real estate. Australians' obsession with bricks and mortar is without equal, and for pretty good reason. House prices have surged in the past few decades, creating plenty of wealth for plenty of people making property millionaires in many towns and cities across our wide brown land, but mostly in Sydney and Melbourne. That's right, this is a property special this week. We're going to get to the bottom of the debate that's had at every barbecue across this country every weekend. (laughs) Can the boom keep going? Can it? That's what we're going to try (laughs) and answer. That's what we're going to try and answer. Let's get on with it. Scott, let's let's start at the beginning here. Give us a bit of context. Give us a bit of a history with property. It's a great question, Andrew, and you know what? Like all of these things, it depends on kind of how you define your terms. Okay. So if you ask most people, what's property like? Generally speaking, most people will say, well, it rises about, depending on what you look at, 10-ish percent a year. Maybe a bit above the share market. Doubles every seven years is what I hear. That's the thinking. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that, that's about 10%, right? The old Mm. rule of 72, for those who haven't heard it, if you take your investment return, you divide it into 72, you'll get the number of years it takes to double your money or vice versa. So. If cool. it doubles every 10 years, that's 7% return. If it doubles every seven years, it's a 10% return. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of your story, right? Except okay. it hasn't always been the case. The boom has been well and truly on in earnest over the last particularly 15 years, gone absolutely through the roof, made millionaires of many, many, many people. But that's not always true. So thinking about, this is a great US example. Robert Schiller, the, the famed economist who gave his name to the Case-Shiller Index, that thing that we all started paying attention to when house prices crashed in the US. Well, the dude won a Nobel Prize. He did. Found that over the 100 years from 1890 to 1990, house prices went exactly Nowhere. Nowhere? Come At least on. not in real terms. Adjusted for inflation, house prices didn't rise a zack. Adjusted for inflation. And in fact, there. in the mm. first 50 years of the century, from 1900 to 1950, house prices actually fell. Yeah. So you kind of say, well, which one is it? Is it the 100-year history? Is it the 50-year history? Is it the last 10 or 20 or 30 years? Kind of depends on your frame of reference. It's it depends a, on what you think. It's about context. In fact, the longest property records we've got in the world are in Amsterdam. And that kind of tells the same story. It's about inflation over the long term. So is it is it is it something special about us here? Because it's been well above that for a long, long time here. I, I know Vanguard published some of these figures here. Mm. And we've seen property um, on average, um, and it depends exactly what, what part of property you're measuring, but... You know, let's call it close to 10% per annum over that period of time mm-hmm. um, and a long period of time, 30 years, right? So that's, that's I think, you know, we, we can talk about short-term fluctuations and abnormalities, but 30 years is long-term, right? Well, kind of. I mean, yes, it absolutely is. It's most people's working lives, let's be honest. So in that context, of course, it's, it's absolutely true. The problem we have, though, is that it doesn't suggest that necessarily we'll keep going. And it depends on what time frame you're, you're using. So... You know, think back to, you know, things that are 30 years long. Well, there's been 30-year Cold Wars that stopped. Mm. There have been 30-year booms and other things. The tulip boom, the, you know, we have recessions and other things during that period of time. The danger, as always, with any asset class, any period of time, anything we talk about is making sure that the period you're looking at is representative of what is likely to happen in the future, not just what happened in the past. You know what we should do, Scott? Before we before we move on here, let's declare our interest. We're all, we've all got, um, you know... Opinions are like, uh, you know what? Yes. Everyone has one. Uh, where, where are yours? You are, are you an optimist or my, you... my opinions? Yeah. Just just, just be clear. <laughs> right, yeah. I have other things I can tell you where they are. Uh, the uh, well, 
Look, I, I'm an optimist by nature, Andrew, as, as you well know, and as our listeners probably know by now. Um, economies, businesses, companies, you know, things tend to be tend to improve over time. There's very, very little that gets worse over time, say for Donald Trump's candidacy for president. <laughs> the generally, generally speaking, this is the, you know, this is the, the, the way of things. So I'm an optimist, absolutely. So you, you're, you're okay with property? Well, I also happen to own a property. So uh, I, own, I own a house, or at least the bank owns most of it, but I own, I own some of my house. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm well and truly in the ranks of property owners, but I also should say I'm not a property investor. I don't have any property in my investment portfolio at all. How about okay. you? Well, look, I'm, I'm a bear. Um, I'm, I'm, I've actually been a bear for a long Ooh. time. Um, that's and- Andrew Page, A N D R E. You could have asked me five years ago what I thought of property, and I would have said eh, it's crazy, it's ridiculously can't expensive. Possibly keep going up. It can't possibly keep going. <laughs> Has it gone the last five um, years? Yeah. Let's next question. <laughs> Although, like a broken clock, if I keep if I keep saying it, I'm going to be right eventually. So that's oh, that's mate. my strategy. Join the ranks of the doom and gloomers who keep telling us the economy is going to crash. So now you know where we stand. <laughs> um, okay. So and, and again, let's let's be before we really get into the meat of this, let's sort of define what we're talking about here. Right. Now, there's there's property property is like you know the share market it's an extraordinarily broad term we're talking commercial property residential property is it a house to live in is it a house to to invest in what are we going to talk about yeah look that's a really great question we're going to focus mostly on investment property and mostly on residential investment property so you know there are and i think what's really important you make a great point andrew what we should say from the outset is well we're going to talk about property as an asset class like everything there are going to be good and bad properties. There are going to be cheap and expensive properties. Sure. There are going to be terrible and great quality properties. Yep. Same as there are with, we talk about shares most of the time, obviously, and we're kind of share guys. So also take that with a grain of salt. But when we talk, we say shares are great, we don't mm. mean every single company is great. Every single company is cheap. Every single company is worth okay. investing in. We think okay. on average shares as an asset class will do pretty well, mm. but we'll try and find the good quality businesses trading at attractive prices and do it that way. When yep. it comes to asset classes, yes, we'll talk about residential property um, and talk about investment property, investing in residential property. But we're very aware, as our listeners should be, that this isn't just a one-size-fits-all approach. Not every house, every unit, every investment property is going to have the same characteristics. Yeah. Well, let's talk averages then. I All think right. I think that's that's probably the for better you and I. way. We're pretty to do average it. kind of blokes. So. <laughs> we're very average kind of blokes. <laughs> and and I think also too, we, we need to put things in context. I think one of the yep. things, that, especially when I'm talking to the old man or you know people of of the, sort of the baby boomer generation, it's that story of. I bought my house for two cents in 1960 and now it's worth $10 million. You know, you're a jaundiced angry man, aren't you? Oh, don't get me. Maybe you should get me started. (laughs) It's, it's one of those things too, that I think we need context around that. You were right to point out inflation before the, 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 you know, the value of money changes over time. So, you know, what a thousand dollars bought you in 1960 is very different to what a thousand dollars buys you today. So we need to keep everything sort of in those constant terms. And I think the other thing we have to think about as well is that, and I think I, I think what we need to do right at the beginning, you mentioned that we are share guys. That's yes. where most of it, all of our investments are. In fact, that's what we like to do. Mm-hmm. But I don't think any of us are against the idea of investing in property. I and mean, any investment is a worthwhile investment if you feel as though you can generate a good return on your on your uh, your purchase price. Right? We might be share guys, but we're more more than that. We're, we're money guys. And so if we can make some money doing something, we'll you'd be damn sure. Mate, I'll buy it. an emu farm if I thought I could make some ah, money out of I've it. I've got an emu farm to tell you. <laughs> Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Okay, let's a little, little bit of the pros and cons here of property. Before um, we do, Andrew, let's, oh, yeah. let's, just, let's just take one quick step okay. back. And that is just to simply say that 
we, we mentioned you asked about, you know, what sort of property are we talking about? The answer is investment property. And what we're not saying, you know, there is a very significant difference. People should always bear in mind there is a difference between a lifestyle asset and a financial asset. So when we talk about houses to live in, we're talking about, you know, a place to put down roots, a place to raise a family, to do your gardening, to, you know, park your car in the garage. Although the things that- I can't do that, that with my share portfolio. Correct. And so, right. you know, when we think about, you know, the house you live in, you shouldn't necessarily, although we can get onto this a bit later, necessarily consider that in the same why you would consider a financial asset, something you want to use to make yourself wealthier. Okay. The house you live in, frankly, if you've got to sell, if I've got to sell my place and buy another place, mm. then I'm probably buying and selling in the same market. Unless I've, I've, I've got a fantastically great deal. Yeah. If my house doubles in price, that's great. But if I sell it and buy another place, it's probably doubled in price anyway. So yeah. there's no benefit. It's all relative. Yeah. So we're not talking about the lifestyle asset, the house you live in. Yeah. We're saying if you're going to buy a property specifically that is investment, what are the pros and cons? Okay. I'll tell you one pro, and this is, this is the one that I hear all the time. You know, the great thing about property, I can, I can touch it. It's real. You, know, you share blokes. You have these little bits of paper. I mean, what is it? It's ethereal. It's, it's, it's intangible. Listeners, you're about to hear Andrew try and turn a positive into a negative here. <laughs> He's presented a, po a, a pro like, you know, hey, look at this pro that I'm about to knock down. And I, think, I think it's rubbish. I think it's absolutely rubbish. Obviously, property is tangible. You can see it. You can smell it. You can lick it. You can do whatever the hell you like with it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's real. But where I take exception with is with the example. I mean, I, you know, I, I the, the shares <laughs> that I have represent a business. I can go into their office. I can touch I it. It, is, it is real. Listeners, okay? can you hear that? Can you hear? I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to fight the corner here because Andrew's going to Andrew's going to make every positive and negative. I can just tell. <laughs> go kick the nearest CBA you know branch that you can find. That's a tangible asset. I think what's real about it, Andrew, is that they are they are assets in the in the sense that they are physical things. Um, it's a thing you can touch and feel. And where companies are different to that is that. Companies very rarely are worth the value of their assets, the physical things that they own. Mm. When you buy a company, you're buying an earnings stream. And if that earnings stream stops tomorrow, you can't cash out your shares for the value of the bricks and mortar. So mm. take the Commonwealth Bank, for example. It's trading currently about three times its asset value. Mm -hmm. So if you had to basically shut down the Commonwealth Bank and say, well, at least I get my share of the assets, yeah. you're going to lose about two thirds of your money. Yeah. A house at least is a physical asset that is worth, according to the market at least, a, a, an amount of money. The property is worth what the property is worth. Mm -hmm. The physical asset, the thing that is, sits in the ground or on the ground. Uh, whereas a share, you know, if you buy shares in Woolies or shares in some great tech startup, the tech startup's probably not backed by any assets at all. It's probably actually got negative assets overall. But people will pay hundreds of millions or billions of dollars for these companies because of their future earning potential. So at least with property, the, and the positive here is it's a physical asset with a, it's a, it's a size, it's a thing, it has value, it can be bought, sold, and frankly lived in. It has more absolute value than maybe an earning stream of a company that might disappear tomorrow. See, I'd almost argue that it isn't. I'd almost argue that the value of a, a again, we're talking investment property here. Mm -hmm. It's only really worth, you know, um, what, what it can return to you as an investor. And traditionally, and this is, we've sort of diverged from this in recent years, but traditionally it's the income that you get from, from your tenants, from, from rent, right? So there is, there is that link between the earnings capacity of that investment property and its value. Yeah, but the earnings, the earnings capacity won't disappear entirely. From a, you know, a company that you own, we could say, well, look, Willie's isn't going broke anytime soon. That's probably right. Mm. But there are probably two thirds of companies on the ASX that under the wrong, wrong environment could absolutely simply cease to exist. A property can't that. cease to exist. It, it's tangible that. in that sense. Okay. Well, pro number two. Um, it, people say not volatile. You know, you look at your, your, I don't know, BHP shares. They're worth twenty bucks one day. They're worth fifteen bucks the next. They're worth thirty a month later. Mm -hmm. You don't get that with property. I mean, it's nice true. and steady. It's not. It's not very volatile. Absolutely true. I think that's rubbish. By the way, oh, you here we go again. <laughs> this is the list of pros, Andrew. Well, it's not. It's not volatile because you never measure the bloody price. So you you know what your house is worth when you buy or sell it because that's what you pay or that's what you get, and then. 
you live in it or you rent it out. And then, you know, five years later, you sell it. Lo and behold, it's gone up. This you, is you, list of pros, right? You join the two points and you say, oh, there's no volatility there. I'm about to ask Liam, our producer, to turn Andrew's microphone off listeners. But oh, for now, I'll let him go just, it, just for a few minutes. I, here's my argument. I reckon if you had an auction at your house every week, it would be a very volatile asset. And if your grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bicycle, Andrew, but she doesn't, <laughs> so it's not. Let's move on. Okay. Don't like that one. Um, uh, it, low risk. Yes. Property is, there. there is no risk with property. Correct. No, like, come on, Scott, <laughs> help me out here. Help me out. Look, I think that's that's absolutely true. I think what people do is, and frankly, those those last two points are probably the same in most people's minds. And right. we've railed about this before. Risk isn't volatility. I, I've got to say, I think some of those pros are fair dinkum. Um, I think you're too jaundiced, Andrew. You're too negative. You're too cynical. Bah, but on this one, I think, you know, whenever you're paying a price for an asset, that price can always change. And mm. so... While the risk, look again, it's it's lower risk than a business. Quite frankly, it is. I I will absolutely say, as much as I love shares, and I think shares are going to give you a much better return over the long term. There is more risk in owning parts of a company whose whose product, whose service can simply disappear or be taken over or go out of business. The property is not going to go away. And so, is it lower risk owning a physical asset than a earning stream from a business in any mm -hmm. you know like for like? Yes, it's absolutely lower risk. But like anything, it depends on what price you pay. So yes, it's yes, it is lower risk. And so in that context on a continuum, I'd happily, if I said, show me the, the, the least risky assets you could find, property would certainly be on that list before shares, but it doesn't mean that it's always no risk and that's a different thing. You know, for me, it depends how you approach it. I, I think it, these, these generalizations, you know, shares are risky, property's not. It's like, well, it depends. If I'm going to be <laughs> speculating on biotech companies using options and all these other kinds of debt instruments, yeah, obviously it's super risky, it's super stupid. This is a list of pros still, right? It, so if, however, I'm taking an approach where I'm leveraging myself up, you know, uh, you know, 99% debt versus my 1% equity. I'm buying a hundred different units up in the Gold Coast and, you know, I'm, I'm stretching myself to the absolute limit. That's risky too. So I guess the, the point I'd make here is it depends on how you approach the investment. You mm -hmm. can do some really dumb things in property just as you can do some really dumb things in the share market. So it's, it's a relative question. But no one's saying it's no risk, right? So that you, yep. you can always, be, yep. I mean, look, there, there are arguments where holding cash is risky as well because you know, your bank could get robbed or the house could blow up. Or I mean, there are, there are, there are reasons why you make everything riskier than otherwise would be the case. Okay. On average, I don't think you can argue that housing is more risky than shares. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Um, uh, so uh, let's let's move on to the next part. Andrew Page, P A G E, this, for, for the hate mail coming to us. Yeah, there'll be plenty of that. Indeed, I'm on my own here. I know. <laughs> Motley Fool Money, financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's get to the, the the real meat here, Scott. Yes. Boom. Bust. <laughs> Sideways from here, a new normal. Give me, let's, 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 sure. let's, let's look at those individually. Yep. Why could it be a, why could it, well, it's definitely a boom so far. Why could this boom continue? <laughs> the, the, the simplest reason, the simplest opportunity for, for house prices to continue to grow at significant levels are probably twofold. The first is there's not a lot of new land being released. And so to some degree, auctions are auctions by definition. And if you've got a lot of buyers chasing a relatively scarce asset, and while there's plenty so, of property around, mm. there's not so much of it being released, new property being released that... You can simply have the, the sort of property you want in the sort of place you want for a cheaper price. If you mm. want a, a, you know, a decent property in a decent place, different, just decent part of the country, your town, city you live in, then you're going to have to pay what the owner is asking. And if there's no more land, 
that simply underpins the ongoing demand for these things. So okay. there's no more Harbourfront property being being released in Sydney. Mm-hmm. There's no more Bayside product property being released in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, there's no more riverfronts in, in Brisbane being released. So mm-hmm. to that degree, the demand remains strong and the number of properties available simply don't grow anymore. Yes, you can go and live 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 kilometers away if you choose to, and people do. Um, but but where the where, you know where the demand is highest, there's no more land being released. And secondly, I'd say interest rates remain low and may even go lower from here. And if you think about, your know, house prices have gone through the roof the last five or six years. The difference is that the repayments have hardly changed because lower interest rates have allowed people to borrow more money and simply pay the same off. If you're paying two grand a month in your in your mortgage. Five years ago, you could only afford to pay effectively half the price you can for a house today because mm-hmm. you can afford the repayments at lower rates. If rates stay low and go lower, and if demand stays high for scarce properties, mm-hmm. this boom could have well and truly a way to run. So lower interest rates are not, not enough property in desirable areas. Exactly. That, that's your argument. Exactly. So we don't have much land in Australia? I didn't say there's no land. There's no land in desirable <laughs> yes, areas being released. I'm just today. poking fun. I know you are. You're and just, so, you're and just so, wrong. That's and all. so what, what's an average mortgage go for? 30 years? Yep. So interest rates are going to stay at, sorry, close for the next 30 years? Well, this is the thing, right? The RBA has got its hands tied. Rates can't, if rates go up at three percentage points from here, mm. there's going to be massive, massive, massive pain across mortgage belt Australia. Hell yeah. And frankly, the RBA mm. aren't going to do it. They, they're, not, they're not going to create the, the environment. They would push the country into a recession. You're calling for, for interest rates to be at this level or lower or not much different for 30 years. No, I'm not saying that at all. Okay. What I'm saying is they can't go up materially from here because the RBA knows it would precipitate a recession to do so. Can I, can I take the, the bear argument? I find that very surprising. <laughs> here's, here's where you, I, okay, so why could there be a bus? Let, let, me, let, me at least make, let me pretend this is scripted. Let me pretend this is part of our pro and con that we're trying to help members and listeners rather than you just going on another property rant. So, Andrew, why could there possibly be a bus, do you think? Make yourself comfortable, fool. Settle oh, in. We're going to be here for a while. Liam, he's on the clock, mate. Just uh, turn him off if okay, you need to. Okay, so, so look, at, at the end of the day, what, what, to, to, to sell your price, to sell your house at a higher price than what you bought it for, mm-hmm. someone's got to buy it right and the only way that someone can well we've got to start the basics and the only way someone's going to be able to do that at you know greater and greater magnitudes over time is Mm -hmm. of course they're earning more or they're prepared to pay more of their income in or they're more prepared to pay yeah very good point Mm -hmm. or um uh they get access to more debt correct so let's look at those three things so the 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 first one is well wage growth has been stagnant for a long long time in australia Mm -hmm. um average uh, wage growth average wage growth okay so you know, we could all get massive pay rises and the average wage could start to rise very strongly from mm-hmm. that. It'd be great for the property market, mm-hmm. but, but that, that's one of the things that kind of needs to happen. So if it hasn't happened before, it can't happen in the future? It absolutely can happen. Wages will be flat it, forever. It, it can happen. But here's the thing. There's a lot of good stats on this. So the ABS knows exactly what the average household spends on, on servicing um, mm-hmm. their property. And it's never, ever been higher. Right. Um, and... <laughs> You know, that, that's, so that's, it has to go lower than by definition. No, it's not, but right, it's, okay. it's a rubber band, right? So you, you can, you can stretch out a rubber band and you can think, wow, that's pretty taut. You can always stretch it a little bit further mm-hmm. until you can't. Mm-hmm. So my point is, is that we're much closer to that point of, of that band snapping back than we are being able to stretch it a little bit further. Allegedly. Allegedly. Mm-hmm. So the next one, access mm-hmm. to debt. So mm-hmm. banks are already reining in what what they're lending to people. Yes. So it's going to, it's harder. And you know, the, the restrictions on the, the, the amount that you're allowed to borrow and, and, and the, the tests that go against that, it's getting more and more and more difficult. And house prices are already crashing. Oh no, they're not. They're not crashing yet. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, in fact, I don't think they're going, oh, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not stupid <laughs> enough to start calling for crashes because that is a mugs game. Mm-hmm. 
But but what I'm saying is is that for for things to go up, either people need to continually spend a bigger and bigger portion of what they're spending on on houses already, and they're already spending more than they need to get a big pay rise, which, which again might. is which they might. Mm -hmm. um, but again, is 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 harder than it that it that it once was. Mm -hmm. um, and the bank's going to lend them a ton more money. And and I just which don't, they might. Yeah, which, which they might. So there's probably going to be a boom. But what happens if any of those things don't happen? <laughs> I mean, where is this extra money coming from? Well, this is the that's not the case for the bus, though, Andrew. That's the case for the boom not continuing. Yeah, well, that's I guess probably that's probably my. Okay. So what's yeah. the case for the bus then? So the case for the bus is so here's the thing with with uh, let's use the B word bubbles mm -hmm. is that they can go on much longer than than you think. They and really things, really can. Things the market can remain irrational far longer than you can remain solvent is the old saying. Indeed. And so again, you know, I I could have talked to you and you know, th in fact, I did three years ago, and I said, Scott, <laughs> this is crazy. This can't go on. And and you know, lo and behold, mm -hmm. it has. And and for once, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got, you got to give me a break. I've, I've met your wife, mate. You've been wrong more than that. <laughs> That's so true. So what, okay, what am I trying to say here, Scott? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're about to agree with me, but I'm, I'm waiting, you to get, waiting for you to get there. I, I guess what I'm going to say is, is that things, things bust when they're forced to. Mm -hmm. So let's say, I think there's, there's two things that could, that could precipitate this. Either we see a big jump in the unemployment rate. Yep. You get to a point where it's not a question of, uh, you know, should we pay a little bit more and more? I just can't. I lost my job. Mm -hmm. I don't have the income to do it. I'm a forced seller. Yep. That's when things really come undone. True. So I think unemployment going up for whatever reason, China blows up and anything, you know, something like that. We, we get into a recession. That's going to be really bad for property, particularly yep. given, you know, how, how fragile things are. Mm -hmm. um, uh, property fell in the last recession, right? Yeah. Did it? How much? I don't know. I'm sure it certainly wasn't growing at double digit rates. I'll tell so, you. So, I, so it may not bust. I might just stop growing. Uh, I think I'm winning this debate. I think we're pretty much done. I don't know we? if you are, mate. I don't, I don't know if you are. <laughs> um, so here's the, here's the thing. I think, I think there's a, you, you ask it, you ask a very, very fair question. The, the, the possibility of a boom, the prospect of a boom. I don't think anyone, I mean, realistically, you asked me to make the case and I made the case. I don't think either of us really think there's a boom coming down the pike. I think we've got a situation or so a continuation of the boom continuing. There, there is only so far house prices can grow because we're paying more and more of our wages at lower and lower rates. Mm -hmm. And that trend, that, that trend won't or, or can't continue indefinitely by definition. Now, how long can it go for? We don't know. Maybe it's another year, maybe it's three years, maybe it's five years. But the reality is that you can't keep paying more and more of your mortgage forever because eventually you pay 100% of your wage in mortgage and you can't do anything else. Mm. Equally, interest rates, official cash rate now, 1.5%. Maybe it goes to 1%, but it can't go much lower than that. So to your point about the elastic band, there's only so far some of these changes can continue, which are the things that have absolutely fueled the massive pace of growth. Mm. Doesn't mean though necessarily house prices are going to, are going to outright crash. Yeah. And so yeah. we're in a situation now we're saying, okay, well, look, the growth uh, can't uh, continue forever. Mm. If you're expecting that, you're going to be sorely mistaken, we think. But it doesn't necessarily mean that there's terrible times ahead in terms of declines, crashes, other things like that. Just that the past gains aren't likely to be repeated well into the future. Yeah. And I think there's some structural issues, again, just context here. One of the, one of the huge societal changes we've seen over the last few decades is the rise of the dual income household. Yeah. So traditionally it was just, you know, this isn't sexy, it's just how it was. It was generally the dad went out and worked, yep. mum stayed home, look after the kids. Now we've got, which is a great thing. We've now we've got mum uh, at the work, at work as well. Mm -hmm. So household income has increased substantially. Yeah. And that's been a wonderful tailwind. And here's the thing with that, by the way, is that if you're spending 25%, 30% of, of a one income, of one income on, on your, on your mortgage, if you add a second income to a household, yes. that second income doesn't have to be spent on sec double of everything else. You don't yep. spend twice as much electricity, twice as much food, twice as much, whatever. The costs that were already being borne on the first income mm. are still being borne by that income. 
effectively that means you could put most of your second income directly to housing if you wanted to without reducing the standard of living and the yep. rest of it. But so my, my point is that's a trick you can only do once. Correct, Unless you correct. send the kids down the salt mine, yes. you know, where else is that household yes, yes. Uh, income? The other thing we've had too is we've had interest rates going from what, 18%, not you know, in, in, in the 80s. Yep down to like, you know, historic lows as well. Again, yep. that magnitude of decline can't continue. And by the way, if you're not paying less than 4% on your mortgage, go and talk to your bank. Oh, seriously do it. Um, and so, so for all of these reasons, again, you know, um, without talking about timing and of crashes and the magnitude of crashes, I think one, when you, when you look forward, you kind of say, are those drivers mm. of massive falls in interest rates, massive increases in, in, um, in household income, you know, are these, are these factors going to continue to drive, you know, is, is, is bank credit going to continue? You know, it loosened up considerably over that period. Are these trends going to continue? Mm. I don't think mm. they are. So does that mean a crash? No, it doesn't. But does that mean that we can sustain 10% growth mm. at infinitum? I don't think it can. And it comes back to simple mathematics for me is, is that if you, let's just do the hypothetical scenario. Let's take a million dollar Sydney property. Mm -hmm. So what are we talking about? One bedroom studio <laughs> out, out in Blacktown. And, and let's say that grows at 10% each year, right? Yeah. So you just roll that for, we've talked about the power of compounding before. Yeah. I mean, that is going, that is going, if you do that at 10%, that's, that is a $2 million unit mm -hmm. in, in, uh, in seven years, mm -hmm. uh, seven years after that, it's a $4 million unit. Now, how, how are people affording this when we're already devoting so much of this combined household income there yep. and barely managing to do that with absolutely historic low rates of, in, uh, uh, of interest mm -hmm. in an economy that hasn't had a recession in 25? I mean, it just, it's going to be really, really, really hard to do. And what terrifies the hell out of me is like, if you want to buy a house and you can afford it and you want to live in it, I think that's a really sensible decision. If you're going to buy a house and you're going to leverage yourself up to such a degree that you are negatively geared, so you're losing money every year predicated on the fact that you're going to get some very, very strong capital gains to make those losses all worthwhile. I think you're playing with fire. You feel better now? I don't know. I could go on. <laughs> we're running out. Of, we're running out of time, Scott. I've only just got And all the listeners are thinking, thank God we're running out of time. We're going to have to call it off. Value stocks. Markets. Stock market. Index. Share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. So rent or buy. <laughs> well, here's, here's the great thing. Look, we'll make this one short. If you, it, it should be, I would argue, a completely personal, non-financial decision about where you want to live, how much you can afford to pay, and what sort of lifestyle you want to live. If you're the sort of person like me, for example, who prefers to have a place to call home for as long as you want to, no one can kick you out, no one can put the rent up, no one can you know, make your life miserable then go and buy a place. If you can find a place you can afford that you'd like to live in an area you want to live for all of those things that, that work for you, if you can afford to, it, afford to, I, w I would buy the house. It gives you security that you, once you've paid the house off, it's yours. You don't have to do anything else to it with it. Um, you know, effectively, it's a man's home is his castle, right? So that makes perfect sense. On the flip side, from a purely financial basis, there are places you can afford to live now because rental yields are so bloody low, quite frankly. Mm. You can afford to live in a whole lot of places you could never, ever afford to buy, no matter what your income. If you said, I can afford to pay X dollars a month, whether that's rental or mortgage, you can live in a much, much, much better, in inverted commas, house in a mm. much, much better, in inverted commas, location, renting than buying. You can't afford to pay the mortgage off in the same sort of place you can afford to rent. And that's a really important distinction. So if you want to live in harborside, you know, suburbs somewhere in Sydney and Coogee, for example, or Bronte or something like that, you are far, far more likely to be able to afford to rent there than you are to buy. Yeah. On the flip side, if you're happy to say, well, I'll live somewhere else because I want to own it, then you've got to make that, that choice. But it really is a trade-off. Yeah. Look, I rent and, and you know, the thing that I always get is our oh, rent money is dead money. You just, you're just making it landlord rich. You're paying mm -hmm. off its mortgage. And it's, tr it's true. That, that rent money is gone and then I'll, I'll never get that back. 
Um, however, I'd say interest is dead money as well. It's not going to a landlord, it's going to a bank, right? Yep, totally. So, so if you get to a point and this is the calculus that we've done is that, you know, whatever we would pay in rent is less than what we would have to pay in interest. Yep. And it's the opportunity cost of that deposit or that money that I've got on the side. You know, what kind of return can I get elsewhere? Mm -hmm. And my, my, my reasoning is, is that yes, I could, I could, I could buy a property and you know, maybe I'll get some okay-ish growth over that. Um, I'll, I'll probably be pretty leveraged in that. I'll, yep. I'll, I'll be up against the wall. I'll be terrified every time the RBA increases or talks about interest rates and the rest of it, mm -hmm. or I can invest that elsewhere at, a, at what I think will be a better rate of return. I'll tell you And look, purely financially, I would be much better off selling my house, renting it back mm. and using the leftover money to invest. Yep. It's, it's a, it's a, and that's why I would say for most people, I would argue it should be a, a, a lifestyle choice rather than a purely financial choice. Yeah. It's where your family is. It's what you do. If you like renting, if you love the place you're living in, go for it. If you want to have a house, cause that's your thing, go for that that too, well, um, but make that decision based on what you want to do lifestyle-wise, not purely financial. Well, that's what does undoes does it for me a little bit and what doesn't show up in my spreadsheet is that, you know, you don't have any security with the house. You're lucky if you get a 12 month lease, you get kicked out after that because the bloody landlord wants to renovate or, you know, sell it, you know, and so you, you don't, you don't have that security. You can't paint the walls the way you want it to do it. So there is that sort of non-monetary degree of uh, uh, um, consideration. Andrew, we're done. It's time for me to take you to counseling. Oh dude. man. Okay. Listen, I think we're going to have to do a follow-up property special, uh, <laughs> we may won't, maybe four or five. I promise we won't do a property But for now, unfortunately, that is it. Um, <laughs> Scott, thanks for being wrong. <laughs> You're welcome, Andrew. I'm always happy to prove you wrong where I can. <laughs> Remember, you can subscribe to us at <laughs> Triple M's Motley Fool Money. Uh, sorry, triplem.com.au forward slash podcast. Also, of course, iTunes, your favorite uh, Android podcast app. We really hope you do. And give us a good rating too if you like what we're doing. Even even because Andrew went negative on property. Especially. Still give, us, still give us a good rating. Remember, I'm here too. I, I've, I've got to try and keep this thing going. Just give us a positive rating. Just, just pretend Andrew was right for a bit and we'll just move on. It's easy to pretend. <laughs> Till next time, fools. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.